Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Roll for Persuasion, your weekly show where I chat with creatives and entertainers and entrepreneurs about the nerdy things they love and how, uh, how that interacts with their work and all the fun things they do in their life. I have one of those awesome people with uh, some super nerdy, cool stuff we're going to talk about today. We will get to him in just a moment. But first, I want to give a shout out, as always, to my good friends, my colleagues. Can you call that? that? Can you call a sponsor a colleague? I'm not sure, but I'm going to. My colleagues over at Hero Forge. Um, you know them, you love them. Hero Forge is the best place to go to get custom miniatures for your tabletop games. I use them in literally every game I play in. Um, I, whether that is streamed or in person, uh, they're a great way to really envision and bring your character to life and then bring it to life on the table. They have so many options, so many ways to customize and modify and, and make your character your own. You can even uh, digitally paint them and get them printed in colors so you don't have to mess with painting yourself if that's not your thing. Um, we're a big fan of them on the show. We love what they do in the community. And of course, we love what they put on our table. So check them out, heroforge.com. Follow them on socials at Hero Forge Minis. And I'm very excited, and I'm always excited to bring a new guest onto the show, but I'm extra excited this week because not only uh, do I have a guest, but someone that I've uh, gotten to play games with and um, gotten to to dialogue a lot with as, as I've been working on projects in, in my own space. And so it's super cool that we're getting to chat today. Andrew Kolb is a designer, he is an author, and just an all-around fantastic person. What's going on, Kolb? Oh, not much. Thanks for thanks for having me on today. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we we're able to make it happen. We've been uh, we've been almost playing phone tag. Do you play phone tag in 2021 anymore? Yeah, right? it's Discord to, tag, really. Yeah, when I used to like meet people in person, that was definitely something that would happen. Just rescheduling events. Back in but, the old uh, days, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, before times, uh, but. Uh, we're here now, which is great. We are. I love to love to love to see it. It's lovely. Uh, of course, you and I um, have gotten to know each other a little bit because you are the author of the Neverland setting for D and D Fifth Edition from Andrews McNeil Press, and uh, that is the setting that myself and my fellow cast members are playing in in Second Star to the Right, uh, a Neverland adventure, an actual play that we produce that you have actually guest DM'd a session for. So we we've crossed the streams in multiple ways. Yeah, and it's. It feels, uh, I mean, that session was, was really great and almost like kind of meeting, uh, not maybe not meeting your heroes, but definitely meeting celebrities, like meeting a bunch of just, Oh gosh. Oh, right. These are, these are folks that I've been listening to for a couple of weeks and they're, in, they're using a setting that I have written and poured my heart into for years. It's just, it, it was all surreal, uh, but a really good time. Um, I think one, one thing I want to ask you, and I don't know if this is maybe, well, how did how did Second Start of the Right come about? Like, I know you and Joe were both passionate. In, like, does Joe have the same passion for Neverland that you do? I, th I think that I am probably more versed in, I've read more Neverland books and like Peter Pan lore and, you know, watched more films and plays than Joe has. He certainly has enjoyed it and appreciated it, I think, as like a consumer. But I think I'm definitely uh, on a deeper dive than him. It, it is 100% serendipity how it came about because... Um, and, and Joe would be the best one to tell, but it's an easy story. He, uh, he was on Amazon, and as you can imagine, Joe, our DM, Joe Nuzo, who has been on the show before, will be again. Mm -hmm. And shout out to Joe, by the way. And by the time your episode comes out, this will be old news. But Joe just accepted a position at WizKids, um, oh, neat. basically running their, their miniature line. And he's a huge WizKids fan, making these official licensed D&D miniatures. So congrats to Joe, landing his dream job. Uh, we're super proud great. of him. Um, and we'll have him back on to talk about it. 
but cool. he was browsing Amazon one day. And as you can imagine, his, uh, his algorithms are all super keyed towards showing him D and T content. And I think the Neverland book popped up. It had just come out. I think it was October of last year. Yep. Um, and it popped up as a recommended item in his Amazon feed. And he was like, that cover looks cool. And he clicked on it and he was like, that art looks cool. And he bought it. And then he oh, read great. the whole thing cover to cover. And then he messaged me and he was like, Hey, I think that we should do a D and D stream. And I said, no. And then, and then he came back to me with it. Cause I had just left a really bad job. My, my headspace was really bad. And he came back to me with it like a month later and he was like, no, I think we should really do this. I was like, okay, let's see what happens. And, uh, and that was it. It was literally the cover art. And that is the reason why, not only we're doing the show, but we're playing in your setting. And so, you know, tip of the hat to you as the designer of the entire thing. Oh, neat. And overwhelming that, uh, I guess I just, I hadn't imagined that he would buy it just off of the premise and the cover. So very cool. Because I think there are a couple or enough reviews online or people who like will show some of the content and talk about it that I assume most folks have like really done a deep dive or really have decided, okay, I've, I've done my research into I'm going to buy this book. Uh, so it's, it's, it's just, it just feels like such an honor to, to hear that he's just like, yeah, this looks cool and picked it up and it's like, Oh, and now this stream is a, is a, a product of that. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I don't think you can underestimate the, um, I'm preaching to the choir, but the value of design, but specifically in the D and D space, your book is the best looking, I'm going to tie it. I don't know if you're familiar with a, a <laughs> guy called Griffin Saddlebag, but Griffin uh, has also been on the show. He makes D&D items. He published okay. his first book of, of magic items last year. Um, I would say his is, is equally as attractive as yours. You, you guys mm-hmm. stand shoulder to shoulder above basically every other fifth edition third party supplement and better than looking than quite a few of the actual you know, official D&D books, particularly on layout on the inside. So all that to say, for those of us who like to buy and consume third party content, when we see something that looks shiny and well done you know we're used to seeing you know quite frankly kind of like poorly done or or cheap art because people are are doing this on the side and can't afford good art you happen to be a fantastic artist so i I think that really has set it apart we've heard from multiple people who watch the show that they actually started watching the show because they had the campaign book because they picked it up because it looked uh, interesting or engaging and now they watch the show so we are not the only people who who just said that's pretty we'll buy it (laughs) oh great uh and i mean I'm relatively new to this world, so I think I also am still fairly naive to, I don't want to say, well, the buying habits or just kind of like the 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 community, uh, which sure, has just yeah. been really welcoming and really supportive. And just like, it, that sounds very cool. I love the idea of just like, oh, this looks interesting, so I will absolutely buy it. I think that is just maybe something or it, it's a part of the community that I have not seen in other or in my other kind of like uh, the other parts of the world that I work in. And much of the third party content in the community tends to be digital. You tend to get it on DM skill or drive through RPG. Right. There's not a lot of, of printed hardcover stuff. And so when new books, you know, pop up on in our ads or whatever, it's like, Oh, and it's not a Kickstarter. You can actually just buy it and get it now. Um, I think that, I think that catches people's eyes as well because we're not used to, having anything besides the official wizard stuff and um, certainly not, you know, and in, in broader distribution like your book seems to be. Um, so, yeah, I, I, th- I think you inadvertently checked off a lot of boxes that people didn't <laughs> know they were looking for. So oh, great. Congrats. I mean, I just I made the book that I that I wanted to have, uh, which is I mean, so and before this, I have mostly been working in like children's publishing or picture books, which I love. Uh, but admittedly, when the book is done, 
I don't actively, like I don't engage with it the same way that I do with admittedly Neverland, like running my own game. It's, it's, it, it's just a different feeling to be like, Oh, I did this and now I get to like regularly use it. Um, so I'm glad that I'm glad that the physical copy is still something that's kind of valued because I think for me who, as much as I'm happy to kind of work or exist in a digital space, still prefer to like track everything by hand and have something in front of me um, that I'm glad that I'm not in uh, in a minority. So very cool. Yeah. And, and especially when something is um, you know, not to spend the whole episode talking about how beautiful this book is, <laughs> but when it is as well done, um, not just in your own art and layout, but you know, the physical printing that uh, your publishers did, it's just such a high quality, nice feeling thing to have. It looks beautiful on your shelf. Um, and it looks, it, it's fun to flip through and it's <laughs> not the same as like scrolling through a PDF, right? It's right. fun to flip through and see the big, large scale art and people go, go check the book out. We'll put links in the show notes, but, um, the layout really is kind of, I, I feel like unlike most books from wizards where art is featured, uh, either there might be like a, you know, a, a full page graphic, but then they're kind of siloed in windows. You use the art as backdrops lots of times for, mm. for the text. And so you get kind of this um, imagery that inundates the words while you're looking at it. And it's a really engaging, uh, experience as a reader. So yeah, oh, great. hooray for analog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, I think a lot of the feedback I've gotten is kind of like, maybe not surprised, but definitely the sense that like one person doing everything is, is an outlier. And I hope that this can be kind of like, uh, uh, the start of or part of a trend moving forward of more kind of like not single vision, but definitely kind of like uh, like an author driven project that is is kind of like all encompassing of like this is this is my idea and we're going to get it into a, a onto bookshelves or into into the stores for for people to check out because I, I it sounds like what you're describing is is just kind of like the ability or the opportunity that I have writing and illustrating and like the cartography that I'm like, Oh, this is what I need on this page because this is like the whole thing as opposed to, Oh, my job is I'm going to describe this monster. Like I, I like the illustration can inform the writing and, and back and forth. Mm. Um, and I, I, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's something that could be really pursued by more publishers or by more people looking for more books like this. And that's definitely what I look for with in other people's books is I like, I really like singular vision mm. works of art um, or like writing. Uh, so I don't know if you have any recommendations all, all years. Cause again, I'm like fairly new to this world. So yeah. I, I would love to say I know more than I do, but I'm still, still kind of in the shallow end. There is a, there's a lot to discover for sure. We'll send over some recommendations. Oh, great. Um, I, you touched on something that I thought was interesting because, because again, many creators, independent creators in the space, um, you know, have a particular skill set. Maybe, maybe two, maybe they're a really great artist. Maybe they're a really great writer. Maybe they're great at layout or maps or, um, and you know, some people might have overlap. They might have multiple skills, but what, at least from what I've seen, there are not too many people that are familiar with the publishing world, which is why a lot of people I think go the route of self-publishing through a platform like drive through or DMs guild. Um, would you say that your background in like children's book and, and children's books and illustration and whatnot kind of gave you some of that early information of how to go about pitching a book? Because if you were to ask me, how does one pitch a book? I, I have many ideas, most of which I'm sure are wrong. So do you think that kind of set you up? I don't want to say for success, but you knew the path to go on when you started with this idea. 
Yeah, definitely. Because I th- also think traditional publishing is is a long road with a lot of gates along the way, and which can be kind of frustrating for some. Um, but I think if you know that they're there, then you can also kind of like work around some of those gates or mm. bypass a lot of them. Um, so like my history in, in children's publishing, what that means is that I have like a, a, essentially an agent who, um, I mean, on one end helps me negotiate contracts and that, but on the other end almost acts as my first filter of this is my idea for a book. Um, is it viable? Because I think in traditional publishing, the, the beauty of it is that it kind of has a long reach, but the downside of it is that unless the publishers really think that there's legs to it. Um, like serving a niche is not the kind of like benefit of working with a traditional publisher. Like if you have a really great idea that is going to be a 10 out of 10 for a hundred people, then I think independent publishing is great. And those a hundred people will lose their minds and they deserve to have that product. Um, but with traditional publishing, it's definitely like, is this a, is this a viable idea? So my agent would help with that. And as much as she is experienced in traditional publishing, when I came to her with like, okay, so this is what Dungeons and Dragons is. This is what like tabletop RPGs are. Like stay, are stay with me. Books. I'm going to walk you through this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, like admittedly, this was not her world. Uh, and she like to her credit did a lot of research and uh, kind of said, okay, I, I don't have the same filter to be able to say this is a good idea or a bad idea. Like she does with my children or like with my picture book. Uh, it's like I've, I've sent dozens uh, upon dozens of like storybook ideas that get canned right at, at her, which is fine. Um, this, she was a little more maybe flexible. Um, so then, then once she kind of said that was a good idea or it was open to it, then we start to kind of look at who would be interested in it and what do they need? Um, so as far as a pitch is concerned, many will use a public or like an agent um, but not always. Um, and some publishers are open to kind of pitches that do not, like do not come from an agent that are just like an individual sending a, a PDF to them. So that's the first gate that you can bypass, but it, it depends. Uh, also is any of this, is any of this making sense so far? I feel like I've got, Oh yeah, no, no, agents. no, totally. Okay, totally. Okay. I, I think, I think my, my question then kind of midstream is like, say you are pitching, pitching a, a book to a publisher. Do you have to have, like, I think this would be many people's questions. Do you have to have the final product or can you simply say, here's my idea or here's my rough draft? Like, oh yeah, great, great question. And also one that I get a lot for like picture books too. And it's, it's still because essentially they're essentially the same machines or like the same people looking at it. What they want is like a lot of the content, but not all of it. Uh, because on one hand they want to see, oh, do you have like a blueprint for the big picture? Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, are you flexible enough that if we say, oh, this needs to be cut or we need to keep it within X number of pages, then can you, are you willing to cut a chapter or, or change something? And that's, that's where having part of it done is, is more beneficial than actually having the whole thing done. Um, So for like Neverland or for um, any of my book pitches, what I usually have is all of the text written, although Neverland was a bit different because it's much longer than a picture book, but um, most of the text written and then sample pages of final artwork. So in the case of Neverland, um, I had a spread for how to use the Island, like the kind of like, here's how the hex, uh, kind of like crawl port part works in all the random tables. Here's a spread for the monsters. Here's a spread of just like the text explaining the Island. 
And I think I had a spread of just like, like essentially a spread from each chapter. Um, and that was enough to give them an idea of like, this is more or less what the book w- would look like. Uh, and at that point, it was a much smaller size because I wanted it to be, or I had originally imagined it to be kind of like handheld, more like a like a reference guide, easy for travel mm, um, okay. if you're running a game somewhere. But uh, that has that had since changed. But again, that was kind of part of the dialogue. So um, yeah, that's that's a, so. To your question, a pitch I would u- I would usually suggest like have a, a couple chapters written or maybe like half of it written, and that's just a word doc. And then some sample art. Um, having a cover is a good is a good kind of idea, or even a couple ideas um, for a cover design, but not crucial. Uh, but yeah, and and then that becomes the first step in a, in a kind of like a long stage of of conversation about what what is this and uh, is it the right fit for Neverland in particular? How long did it take you from your initial pitch um, to Andrews McMeal to publishing and and available what's that timeline like i think i had worked on neverland for i would say around four to six months before i had even pitched it because it was my first foray into like a setting book or something like this and also just i mean most of my children's book manuscripts are like two pages long and max out at under 500 words so very different to i have multiple word docs for each chapter um so yeah i spent a lot of time writing a lot more than i needed to for the pitch but i it was also it was it was good because then it meant that i could then dig into the final artwork quicker once uh andrews mcneil was on board but uh four to six months for the original um for the like the pre-work before the pitch and then i think the pitch itself usually takes a month or two um of just kind of like making sure everything's in line and then I think it was about eight months from, okay, we're on board to, to deliver final files. Um, maybe it was a bit longer, but uh, around there. Um, and, and that was also including like all of the layout. Cause I, I had a designer who helped me with some of the details, but most of the, like, because my background is in graphic design, that's where I would like, I was laying out all the text and saying, this is where, uh, this is how I want the page to look. So uh that what does that work out to like just uh just shy of two years yeah a year and a year and change yeah wow like like you said multiple steps and um certainly you know endurance necessary as as you go through all of that yeah we, there's so many things i want to ask you um you mentioned while we were talking just now uh you know about the hex map for for the the island of neverland and and i want to for people who haven't read it yet i really i want them to be excited so they'll go get this book um, one of the most unique things I think in it uh, amongst a lot of unique things that you've done, and I've tried to not look at it too much because I'm playing in it. So it's like, <laughs> oh, this, yeah, I want to know how much you've seen. Not, like not a lot. In fact, okay, uh, okay. I, I even okay. gave away one of the copies I had, like just to make sure it wasn't in my house. So I wouldn't be tempted to go okay. look at it. And when it's done, I'll get my own copy again. Um, but I've glanced enough and doing marketing materials and whatnot. But uh, so the Island is set up as a hex map. It's a hex crawl, which is um, a, more of an old school D and D thing is my understanding. I've only played fifth edition, but my understanding is that that's primarily something that was, was done in older, uh, older D and D games. So I'm curious both what your background is as a player of, of tabletop and dungeons and dragons and why specifically you wanted to do a hex crawl for Neverland. Oh, uh, so my, as I've kind of mentioned a couple of times, I'm fairly new to this world. So 
uh, I started with the fifth edition box set. A friend of mine's cousin was wanted to run it, and I'd had always heard it as an abstract and thought it'd be neat. So I still remember that first night, and I rolled up. A, I played a cleric, and I remember the like the. I don't want to spoil uh, the lost minds of Fandelver uh, for anyone, but I remember that first session really like it just it made such an impact that I went, oh, I've like found something that I want to be a part of my life yeah uh for the for, for a long time like it wasn't just kind of like a fun novelty one-off it was definitely that was it um so most of my gaming is is in fifth edition or in that system um but as one who is passionate about a hobby uh you kind of start to dig into kind of like the the shadows and the corners and, and crevices of kind of like the history that led up to it um so i've like uh, aggressively consumed blogs and kind of other uh, folks who are kind of like passionate about the older editions and just the the structure of running a game. Um, so I guess the other part is as much as I played through that campaign and we played through, uh, oh, it was it's a fifth edition uh, elements. Um, oh, the elemental evil. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah, so I was a player in that one as well. Um, but outside of those two games, I've always been a, a dungeon master. Like, I think I was so passionate about it, and that group kind of disbanded that I just, like, have been onboarding random people off the street to be like, hey, let's play this game. <laughs> um, so because of that, that kind of led me to learning more about how to be a dungeon master, how it, like, kind of was in the past, how these old systems worked Um like dungeon crawls and point crawls and all these kind of different structures that felt different from the fifth edition material or like different from the games that I played in um, that I just merged it all together and said, Oh, this is, this is a system like the, the kind of procedure of playing and running in a hex crawl is structured enough that it helps me as a dungeon master. So I think to, to why a hex crawl uh i think part of it was that i think it's a cool system that uh obviously has kind of a history in the in the hobby oh yeah i was gonna say activity no it's the hobby um but also is is it helps me kind of keep things organized uh so i don't know a long-winded way of just saying i like hex crawls and i want to see more of it in fifth edition like i know what's the what's the fifth edition I think tomb of annihilation yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and, and in reading through that book just felt too overwhelming. Like, I think it, it was like, oh, I, I understand what this is, but I, I can't run this. Um, and that's not a slight against them. That's just me as an inexperienced dungeon master, uh, going, this is, this is too much. So, uh, hopefully my goal as much as Neverland is like somewhat system neutral. And I think assumes some experience with RPGs, uh, is hopefully designed in a way that, someone who hasn't run a lot of games can go, Oh, I'm, I like, I can use these pieces to make my own game as opposed to this is the right way to run it. How would you say that a, a hex crawler or even specifically the one you made for Neverland, how does that differentiate in your mind from, uh, you know, standard adventures people might be used to in fifth edition or other TTRPGs, you know, who haven't heard or even played a, a hex crawl before? I think and so I, I will speak to this as like my experience playing in a fifth edition module compared to running a hex crawl. I think in fifth edition, I always had the kind of like looming feeling of, oh, this is the right thing to be doing. Like this is what the the dungeon master has prepared. And I I want to be on board with that. So I'm going to like, they've laid down this track. So I'm going to 
deviate a few steps but come back to it um whereas i think both neverland or or i think hex crawls in general really nurture uh kind of like a, a more of like a sandbox style play of like okay you are in this spot on the top of a hill you can go down the hill in any direction you go north south east west. like where where do you go and the the dungeon master hopefully is prepared enough that wherever direction they go it's not always the same thing it's it's going to be unique um so i don't am i answering the question hex crawl is like exploration driven um so like the kind of like the pillars of of D, like it's 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 not maybe not as much about combat or social it's definitely about the exploration of what are you going to find if you go north versus if you go south and then how does that change your adventure um yeah i mean i know you and second star haven't gotten into the kind of hex crawl portion yet tomorrow uh, we're starting tomorrow yeah that's right yeah. very soon uh so uh or i guess maybe by the time this has come out by the time it this comes started. out like a month ago <laughs> so uh but like in in hindsight or looking at it as something that you've not yet experienced what what are you looking forward to in a hex crawl or what is your understanding of it so so i had never i'd heard the words before um i'm as as deep as my like fantasy and you know nerdy background goes i'm still fairly new to D. um okay what it reminded me the most of when Joe kind of explained it to me a little bit of old text adventures, um, that old computer games used to have. Cause it would be very much that, uh, you know, you're here, you're in the woods, you go north, south, east, west, you see a tree, you can go up it. Um, and that it felt like the exploration or at least from how Joe's explained it, cause we haven't done it yet is a little more, it's less, you're not, you're not on secret rails, you know, in a video game sometimes, right. like sometimes a really good video game you'll be playing and you look up and realize like, Oh, the game wanted me to go this way. They designed the world and the elements to push me this way. I feel like this is my choice, but I'm actually just kind of following their design. It feels like the opposite of that. It feels like genuinely like, no, really open world, go where you want. What do you want to explore? Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that, about that. Like uh, it feels actually a little scary, honestly, like as a player, cause I'm like, Oh, you're used to knowing that, uh, well, the, the wyvern is in the, the caves up north, and to defeat it, you'll need the sword that's down south, and you have a somewhat linear progression right. to follow. And so it feels like we don't necessarily have that, so I'm like, what if we go to the wrong place? So it adds a cool amount of risk. Cool. Um, and already, just from some of the quick moves that we've done, our party in the game, across the hexes, um, I'm already going, oh, I think we, I think we encountered something there that now I'm aware that we should go back and get, or, or, or now I know a little bit more about the world. I should go check out that creature that we ran into. Cause I think it had something we could harvest to make something cool. Um, oh, yeah, and so okay. I'm like, Oh, I wonder if we go back, will we still encounter that? So it feels, uh, it feels like the ability to retread space that we've covered already, mm-hmm. um, is not just there, but could be beneficial versus like checking a place off the list. You don't have to go to that village anymore. Move on. Right. I could be wrong, like but that's my no, vibe. No, that, I mean, that's, that sounds great. And much more succinct than what I'm trying to describe. Uh, like I think uh, I, I, the closest I can liken to it to, and you mentioned video games is I feel like I I've always loved the, the legend of Zelda franchise. Um, and I think what I've, what I love about a hex crawl is it really feels like the breath of the wild, like game, like it mm-hmm. feels like, Oh, you have these resources and yes, there's the general stuff you're supposed to do, but how you get to between A and B is completely up to you and really player driven as opposed to like you, you were saying those, those secret rails. Like I, I appreciate the thought and care that goes into that. 
Um, but again, that's where me as a dungeon master am, am not as comfortable with, oh, if they go off the rails, then it, then things go off the rails, as opposed to, oh, if there's no rails, then everyone's just on, this metaphor is getting mixed. <laughs> everyone's on dune buggies, just going wherever they want, yeah. and everyone has a good time. And maybe you roll it, and that's what happens. Uh, but I like I like not having to worry about, is this encounter balanced? Are they are they being challenged enough? Because essentially, it's up to it's up to the players. Like if if they not make the wrong decision, but if you go into a place that's it's dangerous, then that's for you to find out. Just like in the real world, like if you are wandering into the woods and going, oh, are we going to get lost? I mean, maybe, but like no one's no one's holding your hand. You got to yeah. you got to figure it out, and then that becomes the game. Right. So I, I'm hopeful that 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 can kind of carry on uh, that kind of old tradition of just like. Do you know what you have to fight? You just have to decide: Are you going to fight this dragon, or are you not? Because it's, it's. I mean, it's there, but it, are you prepared? So, yeah, uh, I'm into that. Have you? Do you run very many? I know you said you're relatively new to D and D, but have you run many games? Uh, I ran Fandelver for our group. That was like oh, our neat. introduction to D and D. I was like, let's get the box set. I'll run it. Never done this before. Let's go. Cool. Um, so I've done that, and I've run a few different like one shots. Um, but I've only run. That's the only campaign I've run. Gotcha. And how do you, uh, I mean, obviously now experiencing Joe's and other uh, kind of dungeon masters, do you have a sense of what your approach is compared to others or just like how you would describe your own approach? Yeah. So um, it's funny because we were kind of talking about this beforehand and and we talked about a little bit on, on our Neverland episode that you did with us. But um, my approach to a lot of things is very, uh, very much wing it. I, I'm, cool. and, but in like, in a prepare well so that you are, you have the resources at hand to make things up and trust yourself enough to, you know, be able to build characters in a world on the fly. So I'm, I'm, I will pat my own back and say that I'm very good at the improv part of D and D when I ran Vandelver, I did have the maps that they made. Um, but at multiple times, random NPCs were created, you know, whole encounters came across the game was changed just cause it felt right in the moment and I was able to go with it. Um, what I am not great at is really why I don't run like a homebrew campaign is I'm not good at planning out long-term story or kind of, you know, baking in uh, uh, teases or storyline threads. I'm very good at social interaction and, um, you know, kind of that, the more of the random parts of it. So when, when I think about running a game, I almost like the idea, some, some shows do this of, of co-DMing where you have two DMs who run different aspects of the game. Okay. Um, that actually interests me a lot because I know where my weaknesses are and I'm not going to like, force people to endure my weaknesses in a game. Uh, but all that to say, and to answer your question, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much a wing it. Joe is super prepared. My DM in my home game is very prepared. Uh, they're both, you know, good at the improv part. Whereas I'm like, make it all up. We're going to figure it out as we go along theater of the mind. Yeah, you can do, do that. No, you can't. Sure. There's a dude over there. Like that's right. kind of, <laughs> that's kind of my, uh, thing, which is why I kind of like some of the, the random roll tables that you have and that you used in our game. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's all I need is just roll a dice. Oh yeah. That's what pops up. And then we'll layer the story around whatever the dice give us. Right. And I find that that tends to nurture more collaborative storytelling than too. like, I find if I have too much script, then again, if I step too far off of it, then I really get lost. Whereas if I go, I'm, I'm just going to react. I mean, like I'm definitely not an, an improviser, but I think I've consumed enough improvisation to go, Oh, I understand that you can't have everything planned out because one step off of that and it's all, it's all downhill. So I appreciate the kind of like 
I'm in this and I'm going to wait to see what the, what the players do and then responding to that. Um, yeah, I, I know that it sounds like Joe runs a very different game, but I, I really like the kind of just finding out what's going to happen. Like in, in my regular games that I run in Neverland, I like that in multiple games, everyone has done things differently and mm. like they will talk about, uh, and also cause a, a couple of my players watched the session that I ran for second star and have since like gone back and caught up and they're like, Oh, I, I know things now because of like some overlap in our world, but they're doing completely different things. And mm-hmm. the spiders are very like, Oh, all these things that like kind of <laughs> deviate because everyone kind of makes their own Neverland, but there's right. still kind of those core themes, uh, that it's really fun to hear. Uh, a similar but different approach to to DMing. That's cool. Yeah, and and that's what's fun about it, especially you know when you've literally written your own book, is that people will go and make it their own, and people will interpret your work and and you know fit it into their own style. Um, you know, not to not to gas Joe up too much, but one of the things I very much appreciate about Joe as a DM, and that makes sense when you know that Joe DMs professionally, so he runs mm-hmm. games for um you know corporations and groups as like team building and stuff like that. And one of, one of the things that comes out of that is that, you know, he has to run within a time frame. Um, so he has to, you know, be really good at, at thinking ahead and going, how can I fit all of this into two hours? Which then when you're doing a stream game where you really want to keep it under two hours so that people will continue to download your podcast and not feel like they're giving up half of their life means that he is really good at, at kind of narratively providing some narrative rails um, as far as moving people forward so we don't ever feel like there's downtime or lag time. And not a lot of DMs have that innate sense of when to kind of like, okay, end here and let me kind of like, let me, let me, let me take the steering wheel a little bit and drive you here and now you keep going and now, now I'm going to drive you here. It's a really good trade-off. So props to Joe for doing that. I think it works really well for our show and uh, it's fun to play in your world doing that. Yeah, that's an excellent skill because I find because I some of my games are weekly, I also recognize sometimes they will just spin their wheels and I don't push it along because I know, okay, we'll just like, we'll get to the thing that I think they're going to do next week. Like that's fine. And yeah. also obviously it shows that they're engaged. And if, if they want to really plan out this attack before they do it, I'm not going to be the one to tell them how to play. Sure. Um, but definitely not a skill that I have that I think was definitely something when I ran the game was something I was nervous or also just conscious of, of how do I, because I, I'm so more comfortable kind of just like do whatever you want that. How do I keep this into a time frame and like deliver on something that is narratively satisfying? So, uh, yeah, this will just become the, like Joe is great podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm very impressed every time. And I think with, with streaming DMS in general, uh, at the ability to kind of like deliver on that. Well, not weekly, but like consistently. Sure. I love it. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely a skill. At what point you mentioned that um, way back when we started talking that you basically wrote the book that you wanted to see or that you wanted to have to use. When did the idea come to you? Was it something that you were wanting to do for your home game already and then you decided to kind of formalize it or or was the idea of it as a book that really came first? What was the, the genesis of Neverland as a project? I think I had because I'd run so many games for friends and family and kind of like introductory stuff, I'd done a lot of research or kind of spent a lot of time looking for good introductory adventures. Um, And I think it was in this really discovered where my skills and weaknesses uh, were as a, as the DM. Um, But it also never quite clicked. Like I think what I recognized was unless folks were already really into 
uh, sword and sorcery or like had read, uh, like unless they were kind of probably already aware of what D and D was, it was a harder on board. Um, so I think where Neverland came from was using or kind of like looking at hex crawls and, and finding, yes, I understand what this is and this is how I would tweak it slightly. And then finding a property. Like I, I, I've kind of always had a passion for kind of like the old, like, I guess they're all now public domain, but like the old kind of like, uh, like children's classics that uh, Neverland was always one that I thought would be a good fit for a, like a, an adventure setting. Um, so I also felt that it would be a good way to get people into it of like, well, if you don't know this, but you do know this, then at least maybe there's something to kind of grab onto, uh, and, and go from there. Um, so that, that was essentially kind of like the idea and also the pitch was, okay. I mean, there are lots of, of, of supplemental or third party settings. Um, and admittedly there are others that explore Neverland, but I think that, uh, mixing Neverland with the hex crawl kind of put those two things together for me in a way that I'm like, Oh, I can run this. I know Neverland. I know how to run a hex crawl. I can, I can do this. And then that is where I just like, you know, when you kind of click with something and just start writing furiously, we're just going, Oh yes. And then this becomes this. And then it just not all falls into place. It was still lots of work, but it was just that, that upfront hurdle was a very easy one to jump. Uh, and then, and then just got easier with time. And obviously it becomes like, oh, I think this will be like a small thing that I'll put on the DMs guild to, oh, I've written thousands of words and I've never done this before. What do I do? I'm going to keep going, I guess. And then just keep, uh, layering on layers of ideas and, and just kind of making it as much as I can. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where it all came from. Just really running games for folks who are not into D and D, I guess. Well, and it's funny because half of, uh, our cast on second star um, myself and Emily, uh, and then Joe, all super familiar. Emily and I are kind of Peter Pan super fans, mm. if you will. Um, and then the other half of our cast, uh, Desiree and, and Bree and Michael, have never seen the Disney Peter Pan, have never consumed any Peter Pan content. So they're kind of the almost the opposite of what you were kind of initially bringing this forward. It's like, oh, you're familiar with Peter Pan? Now come play D&D. They're like, we know D&D and we've never heard of Neverland. So it's interesting to see them explore this world that to me, I'm like, Oh yeah, no, no, of course. That's how this works. Like, Oh yeah. You don't know. You don't know. Okay, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. And how are you finding that in the, in the game? Like as far as that kind of clear divide, cause I guess it, it's a 50, 50 split. So do you notice a difference as far as role playing your characters? Like d- does any of that real life kind of knowledge or lack of knowledge spill into the characters? Um, a, a little bit. I would say like for me, cause again, we're only, cause we go every other week and we're on our fifth episode this week. And a lot of it, the first episode, we weren't even in Neverland. So we've had kind of a lot of buildup. So we haven't encountered a lot of maybe like the core conceits or characters necessarily. Right, okay. And you've introduced some things that are, are necessarily in, um, you know, like the mainstream Peter Pan, as far as like some of the, the, you know, the Fae court and queen map and, and things like that, that I am familiar with from other fairy tale things. Right. But, you know, there are things like, oh, here's a mermaid cave and we hear a mermaid singing. I'm like, I don't want to explore that. Um, <laughs> but my character maybe is interested differently. So so there are some things I'm starting to see pop up uh, around um, the fairies and maybe some creatures on the island. 
And particularly the layout, when we look at the hex crawl, I'm like, I know what all of these are. Oh, so okay, I'm yeah. not going to influence. I'm not going to say we should go to Mermaid Cove or we should go, you know, to the, the pirate ship necessarily because I know we might run into blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, so, yeah, I do have to, you know, you know, put my put my own like fandom on the back seat so I don't like just drive us because I want to go find Captain Hook or something. <laughs> oh, great. And it's funny that you mentioned the map because, I mean, of course, that I think is probably the thing that is most quickly recognizable as Neverland. Um, Because, I mean, I think the the setting is, there's not so much more, but, like, I think the original books gave me lots to work with, but I think I had to really flesh out a lot more to make it a full, like, full-fledged setting. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, or I'm hoping that for, like, the group that is a diehard, kind of like, we've, we know what's going on, is still going to be surprised uh, because I think I, I'm hoping that everyone will get something new out of it, uh, whether you already know what fairies can do versus not. So yeah, uh, that's, that's great. I'm looking forward to it. You kind of, you know, you say, you're saying that you're new to, um, you know, like the D and D world or community or whatever, you kind of jumped in, you know, feet first, you know, full on. Cause not only were you like, all right, I'm going to make a setting, uh, I'm going to write it and illustrate it. Um, you have it filled with, with monsters and NPCs, um, which I think many would find to be a difficult thing. I probably, I, I've never had any desire to create a monster in D and D. Um, just like the idea of balancing it and like stats and all that is overwhelming to me. What, what was kind of your approach as a, a fairly newcomer outside of games that you'd run to creating some of the more statistical pieces like monsters and magic items and all that stuff. I think, I think at one point I released, and I did this both with monsters and with maps. I think I released, oh, I can't do this. And specifically to balancing it, like I, I'm sure that there are lots of creatures that based on the like fifth edition rules, either put out too much or not enough damage, or, I mean, I don't know. Like, so there aren't like CR isn't included in the book. I get I, that. Yeah, this that's I okay. Sure it shouldn't be included in the fifth edition book, but fair. But that's also it too. Is I think I'm also not interested in setting up encounters that are like just like going to use up a third of their resources and all this stuff. Like, I don't right. think that's I don't think that's the sort of game I want to run. So uh, I found once I stopped worrying and learned to love the bomb, then I just decided to I decided to just oh, this is what I think it should do, or this is, I think, how yeah. strong this thing would be, yeah. and then just went with it. Uh, so how I designed monsters was fast and loose. I mean, like, I think I used some of the rules of, like, roughly how many hit die and stuff like that based sure. on how challenging things should be, because uh, hopefully it scales. But that, and same with the maps. For a while, I was trying to make the maps the same way that I've seen in most published adventures, and I have such terrible spatial awareness that like I don't and my my players will always exploit this of how far away is that? And I'm like, ah, like a football field or like maybe 50 feet. And they're like, oh, that close. I'm like, you're right. That is too close. A hundred feet. <laughs> like it's just it, and I stopped doing yeah. that. Like I stopped worrying about making maps that were grid accurate because I think those that are really dedicated to that will be able to tease that out of the content. Uh, whereas those who aren't interested in that can, can do what I do and just say it's close versus it's far. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think diving in feet first is, is a fair way to describe it, but I also have a lot of life preservers on to, to keep me from drowning. Like it's, it I, I'm, w- I'm playing within my limits, definitely pushing myself, but definitely, 
And I would suggest this to anyone who's listening, who's writing their own adventure or going like, oh, I'm not an artist. Draw what you draw to the limit of your ability or write to the limit of your ability. Because I think that passion will feed into like if you are really passionate about maps then base your adventures off of maps like I think I would be interested in seeing that um and how that differs from someone who is really driven by monsters because I think that makes a very different adventure so yeah uh yeah uh yeah this became now this became this went from Joe is great to just do whatever you want do what you want whatever makes you happy I'm into it And that's fine. More, you know, more adventures. We no can shift will... the whole show to just be those two things. And, right. uh, you know, you know, there's a podcast for everything. Um, so do you feel like, I don't know how to ask, ask this without being like, was it financially successful? But do you feel like the book has been uh, a success in, in your eyes, like from a, from a product standpoint or from the publisher's eyes in the sense of like, Hey, you know what? This is a product that worked and people respond to, and we should do more of this. Yeah, I mean, so a, a peek behind the kind of like how the publishing, traditional publishing industry works is generally what happens is you get an advance on royalties. So uh, with my picture books or with Neverland, the publisher will say this is what we can offer. Um, so it can be anywhere from like a couple thousand dollars to, to something small to like that, like high thousands of dollars. I mean, what what is high thousands of dollars? It's not like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's just like, sure. <laughs> but anyway, uh, like like picture books can generally be anywhere from like eight to fifteen thousand um, dollars. That is not what Neverland was. All this is to say is that is end up ends up being an advance on the sales of the book. So mm-hmm. whether you sell one copy or millions of copies, you that's the money that the publisher gives you to say work on this. Um, so with Neverland, because I'd worked so long on it before I'd even pitched, I'm sure my hourly rate is pennies on the, like it just, it's, it's incremental, Yeah. but I will say like it's selling, uh, and I don't, I don't have royalties on it like yet. Like, and I, I don't know when I will, or if that will happen, but I think people continue to buy it, which I think is a good sign. Um, so is it, is it, uh, financially viable? Uh, Maybe not financially to, viable, but has it proved, you know, I mean, obviously there's a market for this stuff, but has, do you think it's proved and, and you can't speak for your publisher either, but in your mind or in the mind of your publisher that, Hey, this is something worth trying again, or, you know, take another swing at that. I think so. I mean, like I, I would definitely love to do this again. Uh, I remember when I finished Neverland going like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I could do that again. Like, I'm very happy that I've done this, but yeah. I've also, I've illustrated a hundred monsters and just like thinking about how picture books are like 32 pages and just so much more manageable. Um, but I would absolutely do it again. And I think the response has generally been positive that I'm, I'm hopeful that the publisher would be interested in future, in future projects. And I think in general, I think the hobby has built enough that it's not a flash in the pan that Mm -hmm. I think other publishers are probably looking to this as a viable option like you maybe have a very small gaming department but in the same way that publishers will have a children's section and a non-fiction and a fi- like i think that will start to kind of build in a way that it we haven't seen in the last couple of years so yeah i think there's i think there's room for third-party tabletop rpg content uh to be pitched to publishers that's awesome yeah any uh any other cool projects you have coming up uh and, and by the way we didn't even get to talk about your design stuff and maybe we'll do that in our in our bonus segment or maybe you've come up with something else i don't know we'll talk about that in a minute 
But um, because you've done, I mean, you've done design work for Disney. Uh, I'm pretty sure I got a Target gift card at one point that had artwork <laughs> that you did on it. Oh, great. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, do you have any more kind of like fun projects coming up that you can talk about that you're excited about? Um, what's it, what am I working on right now? I mean, like, I think the biggest thing actually just came out, which is, uh, the, it's a small world board game that I got to do with Funko. Um, one of my favorite rides as a child and also as an adult growing up and obviously taking a different meaning. Like I think the artistry of it is something I really connect with now. So getting to make the board game for that attraction was, was a dream. So I think that's available in a bunch of places now. We'll see, but, uh, that's been released. So that's, I think what's most recently top of mind. Yeah. I'll, I'll find a link and put it in the show notes. Cause I, I remember okay. when you tweeted about it and, and it looked, it just looks so fun. And that was one of my favorite, um, rides as a kid as well, going to Disney. I was lucky to get to go to Disney a lot. And, um, yeah, there was just something visually about the style that I think is timeless and engaging and is one of the things that I really enjoy and appreciate about your artwork. Um, so that's, yeah, it's super cool that you got to work on that. Yeah. Just live in the dream, publishing D and D books and, or D D adjacent books and Disney ride, but board games, it's, I'm, I'm very lucky <laughs> pitch for your agent. It's a small world D and D setting, Ooh, but there's I, a dragon like, I, uh, Oh, like at the end, like the, that's the, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm just the idea guy. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I could, yeah. There doesn't have, there doesn't have to be a dragon. There are surprisingly few dragons in a game of Dungeons and Dragons, Mm. but, uh, but you know, maybe, well, I guess that would just be a world war then if all of the worlds (laughs) of it's a small, so maybe this became a depressing idea very quickly. Shelve that. Don't even give that to him, but, uh. Maybe if they're hatchlings or if they're like, we can make it work. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think it'd be very cute if there were just like a, not an infestation, but just a world covered in kind of like tiny dragons that like each of them individually, not an issue, but just like, like ants or monarch (laughs) butterflies. Once you get thousands of them, it's too much. So I'm into it. Okay. We'll, We'll workshop it. We'll see what we can come up with. Um, and, and of course, like I said, we are going to be doing, as always, a bonus segment here in a few minutes called The Zone of Truth, where I chat with my guests about who knows. We usually come up with a fun subject on the fly, uh, and we'll figure that out in just a moment. But that segment and all previous Zone of Truth segments are available to my Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. There's like 50 or 60 episodes at this point with the, with the bonus segment. Um, so go check them out. Uh, I've gone to talk with lots of awesome people. Uh, Deborah Ann Wall, who you would have heard a couple weeks ago, uh, taught me all about historic hand stitching for like, like historic clothing. And it was genuinely fascinating. And that's the kind of stuff that I love getting to learn and, and chat about. So if you want to hear random cool stuff that people are into, the zone of truth is for you. So go to patreon.com slash rule for persuasion to check it out. Uh, Cole, have you, have you thought like, what do we, we didn't talk about design. So that's, that's the safe bet. But have you thought of anything else that you would like to uh, chat about here? Oh, I could talk your ear off about, uh, I was going to say ultimate frisbee, which is a hobby that I really missed and and have missed in the time yes. of like social distancing. Uh, but alternatively, we could also talk about a comic series that I really love called Delicious in Dungeon, uh, which is a, a mixture of uh, dungeon delving and uh, culinary skills of just like cooking the monsters that you fight in the in the dungeon. So. Uh, if you want, we can roll for it or we can we can determine how we decide which one uh, kind of in the in this in in that segment. That sounds very much like a callback to uh, to Breath of the Wild. Oh, uh, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe we'll find a way to do both because I deeply love Ultimate Frisbee and have not been able to play it essentially since college, which at this point is 
longer ago than I fair to uh, care to admit. <laughs> um, so so that's it, guys. We're, we'll listen. We'll talk about either and or ultimate frisbee or uh, de- what was it? Uh, delicious, delicious in dungeon, dungeon. which I'm yeah. looking up right now and looks very interesting. Maybe we'll do both. You can find cool. out if you support the show. Patreon.com/slash Roll for Persuasion. Um, but Cole, it's been super fun having you on. Where can people find you if they want to check out your work or what you're doing? Sure. So my name is Andrew Kolb, uh, which is spelled K-O-L-B, like Bravo. This is how I tell people on the phone when I'm trying to, I don't know, figure out my banking. Uh, but so my <laughs> social media is Kolb is neat because uh, I'm I like to think I'm a pretty cool guy, but also very tidy. So uh, that's it. I think you can maybe speak to that with seeing my dungeon master notes. Uh, very organized. Uh, it was so a spreadsheet, Col- I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And always will be. Uh, so Kolb is neat everywhere. My website, social media, feel free to chat with me about any of these topics today. Well, we will drop links in the show notes so you can check them out. You can see all the awesome artwork. You can go check out that It's a Small World uh, game. And of course, the Neverland book, which uh, if you are not sold on, well, guess what? You can go to secondstar.show and check out what I consider to be the premier Neverland streaming game available in the world right now. If you want to see me and some of my friends play in Andrew's Fantastic World. Or get a copy of your own from your uh, from whatever bookstore you happen to be at. It's certainly available on Amazon. Again, links in the show notes. It's a beautiful setting. I'm excited to see what you do next. And thank you so much for joining today. Thank you for having me. And I can also speak to the show is fantastic. I know there's some heavy bias in there, but even without that, it's it's wonderful. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I hope that uh, all of you will join at some time and listen in there. But uh, until next time, guys, enjoy your games. <laughs> <laughs>